The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hello, welcome into the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I have Kyle Boone here. How we doing, KB? I just realized at the start of this episode, I don't have my wire charger. At some point, you're going to hold court so we're going live now. No Paris. Where is Paris? If you're listening to the podcast, it's me, Kyle Boone. I would say he's making his grand return to the pod, except he was on the Saturday bracket reveal. Where's Gary Parrish? I, I, I can't yeah. tell you. It remains a mystery. Does he have his phone? He wasn't on the emergency podcast where I talked about Juan <laughs> Howard's suspension. He's not on this episode either. We are going to have a fun Grand old time here. So, welcome into a Wednesday edition. We got a lot to get to. Okay, listen. Question: uh, What kind of student were you when uh, when you got into class in high school, middle school? You walk in and you're like, "Oh, substitute teacher right now." <laughs> were you a little bit of a troublemaker there, KB? No, I was always a teacher's pet. You know this, of course. I mean, you, you could guess this. Yeah, I was always a good kid. I mean, um, high high school that was not necessarily the case, but yeah, middle school up until like. 10th grade yeah you could count on me to be like the kid who's helping serve court uh, alongside the teachers for sure yeah this is gonna be a fun episode we got a lot to get to gonna get to a lot of topics a lot of them we're gonna lead obviously on UConn beating Villanova we are going to do listen we're gonna do a live mailbag portion on the back end of this episode if you're listening on the podcast the mailbag episode is going to be live in real time on Wednesday. That will be a separate episode unto itself in the feed that will publish overnight, so it will be available to you on Thursday morning. I am Matt Norlander. I'm here with Kyle Boone. And we're going to start with Nova versus UConn because that – I'm going to have something in the court report. I actually have not technically finished writing it as we're recording this podcast. Once we get done with the pod, then I will, uh, I will finish up what needs to finish up with that. But clearly, what UConn did – uh, to beat Villanova on Tuesday night. Nada, my man. You got UConn upsets Villanova in the graphic. UConn was favored. That's right. That's the whole point, though. UConn was favored in the game. They won. Dan Hurley talked about that afterward. I'll get to those comments in a second. Wow. It To me, this signaled the true spiritual return of the Huskies to the Big East. They joined in 2020 in official capacity, July of 2020. Then last year, they have a good season. They make the NCAA tournament, KB, but they don't play in front of fans most of the season. You know, there wasn't that environment. And it, it, even though they they had a quality season, they had some good wins. Even to this point this season, yeah, they've gotten they've gotten some nice wins at home. But this is Villanova. Like I, one way I, I gauge kind of the stuff is I live in Connecticut. Um, 
My wife graduated from the University of Connecticut. I have plenty of friends who either went to UConn or they're just UConn fans because they've lived and grown up in Connecticut their entire lives. Uh, and when I'm getting text messages on Monday and Tuesday from friends that I, you know, that I talk to, but it's not on a regular basis. I'm not, we're not on the phone on a weekly basis. We're not even texting on a weekly basis. We just, you know, it's, they pop in and out of here, but they're texting me either telling me they're going to the game, they're betting on the game. They, you know, they want, they want my thoughts on how good Villanova has been this season. There was a true anticipation with this game. This is why you get back in the Big East. This is what happened on Tuesday, Kyle, and I'll get to the Hurley Jackson and all that stuff. What happened on Tuesday was such a perfect encapsulation of everything that the Big East means to UConn, its fan base, and and likewise. I mean, there was a point in that game where I thought, like, UConn really did go to the American Athletic Conference. That was a thing that happened for like seven, eight years. What were we doing? And it felt really, uh, it felt really awesome. So, your thoughts on the uh, on on the scene that transpired, everything with it. I'm gonna play audio soon, by the way, but. Uh, Court is yours, man. Floor is yours. Yeah, we can we can we can get to the Hurley ejection. We can get to the charge. Um, all that. I mean, just a significant win for UConn. Obviously, by the way, I just want to I just want to note here at the top, just an all time hilarious beat. Um, if you bet on the game last night, uh, UConn was favored by two points. UConn ended up uh, it, it was a push. Um, Andre Jackson Jackson made the first of his two free throws with, I believe it was like 0.2 seconds left in the game. Then just absolutely nuked his second free throw intentionally off the front end. Just watching that live, knowing what the line was. I know you said you had friends who were, who were maybe wagering some cheddar on that game. Just hilarious ending. Uh, but a great win for UConn, obviously, to... to to pull that off over Villanova without, for the most part, uh, Hurley, who was ejected very, very early in that game. I thought UConn was dead. Uh, in the final minute, they fell behind 69-65, and it felt like, kind of felt like it was over. Um, but just as was the case all night, it, it kind of didn't feel like it was over. Um, you were inside the building, so you can give us a little bit more context. But um, that the Excel center was absolutely rocking last night. It looked absolutely fantastic. Willed UConn to a win and um, a, a really nice finish. I thought for, for RJ Cole, who hit what was eventually kind of the game, the go ahead um, shot late. And then he took the charge uh, to, to kind of clinch it uh, for UConn. He did. He did. Um, all right, let's, I'm going to play. This is, this is the Fox sports one broadcast. This will actually allow me to dip down and get my charger so I can have a battery to last for the rest of this episode. Uh, this is a solid minute 54. Okay. But this is the first tee into the ejection and then the building rattling ref. You suck chant. I mean, I was looking around seeing nine-year-olds yell this thing. Grandma's in the 14th row. I was losing it on press row at just the, the what kind of – like, there was such an intense atmosphere, and then it turns into, like, this little bit of a farce, and James Breeding calls two technical fouls on Dan Hurley. Here's how it sounded on the Fox Sports 1 broadcast. And Gillespie, long pass ahead to Samuels. Cole there to break it up. But we'll see. They got a T on Dan. saw him do was bang the cyborg now trying to prevent him from 
exiting here. Kamani Young is playing buffer zone right now yeah. for his head coach. I used to say Dave Lato and George Blaney were the best checkout guys for Jim Calhoun. They used to scream away from the referee <laughs> with their size. He threw him out. Dan Hurley is gone. The second tee, and he's been ejected from this game with 4.53 to go. He was getting the crowd fired up. I have seen guys do that and not be called. So we've got back-to-back -back technicals on the head coach. Yeah, and Dan Hurley is out of this game with 4.53 to play in the first. Yeah, fortunately, there's two guys on the bench. I'm not sure who they will go to. Kamani Young, associate head. Of course, Tom Moore had been a head coach. Luke Murray, great background in the game. He's got to be careful to call another one. Here comes the best part. It's up like that in the bracket. The crowd is taking a little issue. It's sensed. Yeah. Oh, man. How about Raph? They talk like that. If you didn't catch that, Raph does. They talk like that in Nebraska. Incredible, man. So, I uh, just... First, all right. So, let's just talk about that. Let's just talk about the ejection here. Um, comically weak. Just comically weak, I thought. It was weak. Now, the first yeah. T, like I even told Hurley... After his press conference, I got a little one-on-one -on -one with him uh, for the court report. I even told him, the first one you probably earned, man. And he didn't yeah. necessarily disagree, although he got it because he slams the table down, both hands. He's ticked off because there's a no call on Tyrese Martin. And then James Breeding, who's not even the closest official to all of this. He's, he, I, Hurley said he was the furthest away. I didn't see that in real time. That was probably the case, whatever. So he gets the T. Whatever. I was a little surprised by it, but then like Hurley's reaction to the T, like it's, you know, <laughs> I, I, I find a, now listen, does Hurley need to get himself in control sometimes? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. Is it also entertaining? Absolutely. No doubt about it. And is college basketball better by having these kinds of coaches, like actual characters in the big East? Absolutely. No doubt about it. So was on a couple of group texts on Tuesday night where a um, couple different people, you know, were privately saying, I won't say who they are. Um, none of them necessarily coaches, but like Dan Hurley acts like a freaking child, man. He deserves all this. If he's ticked off over getting run, well, you know, he, he earned it. You know, the refs cannot stand working his games. And to a certain extent, that's probably true. But Breeding is persona non grata in that building in this state forever because the second tee is an absolute joke. First of all, it was he gets the first tee, kind of accepts it. He gives Arjun Cole a high five. He kind of goes and he's like, okay, that's fine. Like he knows in that moment it is such an in, it's an intense environment. The XL Center, you got to understand, this is the game at the XL Center. Stores, Gamble is usually the spot. That's the better environment every single time. I have been in the XL Center with an environment like it was last night, maybe three, maybe four times. Like, there have been good games in that building, UConn games, but it had been a long time since that was the case, and it felt like Gamble in there. So, with that as, as context, you know, Hurley just he just quickly turns to the crowd and is like, yeah, come on, let's get up. Come on, let's get up. And then Breeding, who's who I think, by the way, I'm not saying 
This was his exact reasoning. But I think maybe on a subconscious level, this played into it. One, Hurley's already been reprimanded by the Big East earlier this season for comments he made. Two, Val Ackerman, the commissioner, is in the building on Tuesday night. So you've got the commissioner of the league. Hurley's already been talked to. He knew that, not that necessarily he was on thin ice, but he, he Hurley knew going into this game that you know he just doesn't have the same kind of leeway. If Jay Wright does the exact same thing at the Finn, I don't. Jay Wright's not getting kicked out of the game. There's no way. And if the exact thing plays out, if Jay Wright gets a first tee, and then Jay Wright turns around to the fans, Philadelphia, and starts pumping him up like that, James Breeding's not kicking Jay Wright out of the game. And part of that's reputation and what you earn. I get all that, but the ejection was an absolute joke. It was a joke. Yeah. It was also, I, dude, I was losing it at my seat because the scene was like he's getting he's getting tossed. And at first he did maybe at first. It, it almost seemed like he was like, are they actually throwing me out? Like they, they did a quick huddle. The, the officials did at the table and then Hurley's on the outskirts just trying to, he's trying to make sure. And then he's out. And then of course the volcano erupts and you got nine year olds chanting refuse suck, which by the way, those got more profane later in the game. Uh, James reading all, all by the way calls the, if he at best charge on Colin Gillespie to wrap the victory or UConn, and then Hurley kind of just sauntered you. The TV cameras caught it. He just saunters his way. He just he he took in he took in the scene as long as he could. The fans gave him a standing ovation. I haven't tweeted out the video yet, but at, um, after the game ended, when UConn won, I I with where I was sitting on press row, if I looked right there, I could see Hurley in the tunnel. And at one by one, as the players came off the floor, like it's. It was a really cool scene, like massive celebrations. Hurley's just going nuts back there. And I took a video. He dipped his – He, I could see him. He asked his athletic director. He's like, can I just can I just go out real quick? And he said he – got, he got the okay. Game was over. He goes out, and he just kind of steps out, looks at the fans, gives a little, yeah! Like he, he, had to, he had to get at least one more. He said in this post-game press conference, he's looking forward to uh, an explanation from the league's head of officials. If Dan Hurley bothers you, I get it. Um, and sometimes he's over the line. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, he he needs to control himself better. There's no question. But damn if it's not entertaining. And that was a wonderful night for the Big East. And a huge, just a huge, huge moment for UConn's program. Would you agree, like, last night felt like the ceremonial true return to UConn to that conference? Yeah, UConn's got a swagger back. That's, that's really what it felt like. Um, I felt like it was kind of beneath UConn to, to storm the court. Like, I feel like UConn's been there before. Um, that's beside the point, though. Um, top 25 team beating a top 10 team, beating beating Villanova, um, beating Villanova without Hurley for the most part. That felt – it felt like UConn really is back. I agree with you. Um, you could see on TV, by the way, that Hurley – was at least acting like he was just completely stumped that he was ejected. Um, I don't know if that was acting so much, but what they caught on, at least from watching on TV, it, it almost looked um, as he was walking back to the locker room, he had, he had a few choice words and and the TV caught that. It, it almost looked on TV like they were reconsidering, like he, he was maybe not going to get that second tee and get ejected. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, that just fantastic theater from start to finish, really, for UConn. I thought it was a great kind of preview and uh, 
just the environment looked fantastic. Hurley getting tossed was just a, a great moment. And then the finish, obviously with, with the, with the late controversial, controversial charge. Um, yeah. From, from start to finish, I thought it was, it was a, it was a really good game. And I thought UConn being up for it in that moment was pretty significant. Yeah. And my court report story, I kind of lead with like this idea of, of just the sound of the building. Like I've been at UConn games that have been good in recent years and the crowd, a great crowd's a great crowd, but there, there is a certain palpable energy and vibe to a huge big East game. There's like this Northeast pride and arrogance that, that attaches itself to these kind of games. And it was, it was a really, I, 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 I woke up on Tuesday unsure if I was going to go. I'm, I'm really glad that I wound up going because it was uh, it was an incredible game. And it also, by the way, is almost like a table setter for next month. I'll be at the Garden for the Big East tournament. I'll ping pong back between Barclays with the ACC and MSG with the Big East. Uh, last year, again, no fans at MSG for the Big East tournament when UConn was back in. UConn fans are going to storm that building. I, that first Big East tournament game that UConn plays next month is going to be an absolute scene. This fan base is, they've just been seething in the best way to just make their presence known, uh, returning to the conference. Oh, by the way, UConn beating Villanova kind of helps rival Providence in terms of a regular season championship, but just an amazing moment. I saw someone in the chat wanted to address the jump ball. Um, yeah. Did it? That was right near me. Um, uh, it, it was on the. I was on the baseline, so it happened near the UConn bench, and that was the side of the floor that I happened to be sitting. Um, as a as a general aside, I I can't stand how quickly. This has been a pet peeve of mine for decades. I I hate how quickly officials will call a held ball. Let them tussle for it. Let someone wrangle control. If you truly have a situation where both guys have a have a have a true say on possession of the ball and it's like one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, then call it. But to, to me too often you get maybe a beat, maybe a beat and they call it. Um, if you're also, if your issue is like the possession arrow, uh, I don't think that's, would a jump ball be better? I guess. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that they're going to get rid of the possession arrow. And there is a, there's a, there's a randomness factor to this without no doubt about it. But, um, for Villanova to lose in that spot, and we'll wrap and move on in a second here, KP, but uh, for Villanova to lose in that spot when it was up the way that it was, uh, it was up four, less than 20 seconds to go, like we just don't see Villanova lose those kind of games. In fact, let me bring this up in real time. I want to see what the – I didn't think to look at this yet. I want to see what the Ken Palm uh, win probability was. So Villanova – man, oh, man. Look at this. Villanova – was at 90, looks like 93.5%. No, look at, the, uh, yeah, uh, man, oh, man, is that a fact? 93.5%. It actually says UConn's minimum win probability got down to 3.9%, so even better than 90. At one point, Villanova was 96% to win. Yeah, here we go. 96% to win the game in that spot, and then Tyler Polly hits the three. Kamani Young, I have to mention this, did a great job yeah. in Hurley Stead. Uh, you know, UConn's had a good season. Kamani Young, well, I would I would think is going to get some some real looks at some job interviews this offseason if he wants to uh, if he wants to take on being a head coach, depending on the programs he interviews for. But he did a great job, had a great call there. And then, yeah, the charge at the end. Um, uh, I don't I don't like it. I don't. I'm not as like 
fanatical about hating Chargers as some others are. Like, there are plenty of bad ones. But uh, at a certain point, like, you can't allow offensive players to, you know, run roughshod completely all over the court. Like, a defender should have the right to his space. But it's that, it's that gray area and just getting to a place where we're not teaching guys to slide in under a defender, try and plant for a half second, if that, uh, you know, tenth of a second, uh, cover their crotch and think they can get the call. I So those have an issue with those kind of charges. I get it. I thought it was – I really – I felt – I felt that was a no-call situation. What about you, Kyle, end of the game? It was 50-50. I mean, that's that's. it was very on-brand for college basketball for a game like that to end um, with the, with a block charge. It didn't totally look like R.J. Cole had his feet set as Colin Gillespie was attacking the hoop. Uh, Gillespie got up and, and, and was pretty convinced that it was, it was a block, obviously, and, and he has the right to feel that way. Um, but, yeah, I – I thought it was, I mean, if I was the ref, I probably would have called it a block and, but I didn't have a huge issue with it being a charge. It just, it sucks that a 50, 50 call that, that late in the game ends up basically deciding it. That's, that's what I think I probably have the bigger issue. It's a block charge call in that moment. Maybe just leave it alone and just kind of let them play. Yeah. I, I, I'd go no call there, but, uh, Man, just a, just a great scene. Got me really, it got me really, uh, really ready for the Big East tournament next month. That's gonna be that's gonna be a good time. As we speak in real time here on Wednesday, you know, Villanova probably still sets up on say the three line. UConn probably a five seed right about now, record wise. Uh, Villanova's twenty one and seven. UConn is twenty and seven. Villanova's now fourteen and four in the Big East. UConn is eleven and five, and then Providence is sitting with the best record overall, twenty two and three. With a 12 and 2 record. Province has a game on Wednesday. We'll preview the Wednesday slate in a little bit. But we do. Master Chief recovered something. Sacred ring. Halo. When I touched the object, I felt different. What does one do with a superhuman you're not sure you can trust? win the war are you looking for a new basketball shoe if so this is gary Parrish here to tell you that the new balance two-way v4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning every step feels explosive and dynamic and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable so whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay. Well, there we go. The video element on these podcasts, man. More and more each week. Hey, I like it. All right, let's talk uh let's talk bubble. Let's talk bubble results here. And we'll go chronological order. So Monday, the three most prominent, Indiana blows a lead late against Ohio State. TCU got a home win against West Virginia, North Carolina 
avoids a bad loss, it beats Louisville. We'll start with Indiana. The Hoosiers, I think they're getting in. Man, did they? It's the thing is, man, it's not that they lose against Ohio State. They weren't expected to win. They had this lead. They had a double-digit lead, and they blew it. Now, Indiana's lost five consecutive games, and they've put their NCAA tournament future in doubt. And I did not think that was going to be the case. Basically, in the preseason, I didn't think it was going to be the case. We had a dribble handoff post, which if you're unfamiliar and listening, at cbsports.com, once a week, we will do a uh, collaborative piece where each of us will kind of offer a paragraph's worth of thoughts on a given topic. And uh, that dribble handoff post earlier in the in the season, I think in the preseason was which non, I think it was which non-top 25 team, maybe the preseason AP poll had come out, which non-top 25 team do you think has the best chance at uh, at being a, a Final Four long shot, I guess. And my mm-hmm. pick was Indiana because uh, I believed it then and I believed it as recently as maybe six weeks ago. Uh, but the Hoosiers have been in something of a free fall here. At one point, they were a 16-5 and team, and now they're sitting at 16-10. and They lose 80-69 to on Monday against Ohio State, which, by the way, in getting the win, um, allow me to uh, give a little bit of credit to Chris Holtman, of course. Uh, they needed course. Them to get themselves back on the right track there. IU right now, I think I'd have them. I really think, like, I was doing some of the some like quickie bracketing stuff uh, yesterday morning. I, I think I'd have Indiana as like a 12 right now. I think they're that close to this. Uh, your thoughts on the Hoosiers? I don't know how much of that game you saw, but do we think this team's going in the NCAA tournament? I mean, look at the schedule they got coming up. Yeah, yay or nay? February twenty third, right now. Make the prediction, KB. No, they're not. They're not getting in. No, I don't think not so. Getting in? I don't think so. They've got Maryland, Minnesota, Rutgers, Purdue to close the regular season. So maybe um, I'm going to say no. That was their fifth straight loss. Losing to Ohio State is a tough one. Um, they've had some close ones here too, um, but that for their resume, I think they really needed. That's a tough one for them to swallow. Here's here's what Jerry Palm had to say um, earlier in the week. By the way, he said Indiana drops to sixteen and ten overall, eight and ten against the top three quadrants. He says that is the sort of record against the group against that group that the committee has historically found very difficult to reward um and palm's not writing them off either he's he's still kind of tracking them closely in his bubble watch but it, I'll, I'll throw it back to you and, and see what you think i i i kind of don't think indiana gets in the instant weight tournament what do you think i'm gonna say it gets in although yeah. the resume is how about this indiana right now is five and ten against the top two quadrants it doesn't have a q3 or q4 loss which is helping it at the moment and if you're looking specifically in quad one two and six record Re- schedule upcoming Thursday, home against Maryland, obviously a must-win situation. Yep. Right. Then they're at Minnesota. I don't want to call it a must-win, but he just you complicate matters if you can't go on the road and beat a Minnesota team that we talked about early in the season. It started hot, but Ben Johnson's squad is four and twelve in the league, and its wins, you know, since January one have been against Rutgers at home. When Rutgers wasn't Rutgers, and yet it was it was Rutgers, uh, and they beat Penn State at home and Northwestern at home. That's Minnesota's win. So Indiana kind of got to win that. Then they're home against Rutgers. Rutgers. And then they will close at Purdue. You go three and one in that stretch. I say you go three and one in any combination. Any combination. You win your next three, you lose it at you lose at Purdue. Fine. You lose at home to Maryland. It's going to be complete five alarm fire. But you, if you can then win at Minnesota. 
Rutgers at home and then win at Purdue, you're going to really do yourself well. And then avoid at all costs. I, who knows where they're going to be seated and what the Big Ten bracket is going to look like, KB. But you cannot lose your first Big Ten tournament game. So we could have some real drama here with the Hoosiers and Mike Woodson in his first season. As a reminder, Indiana has not made the NCAA tournament since 2016. It would have been in the field in 2020. It wasn't a great team, but it was it was relatively comfortably projected to make the field in 2020, 9, 10 seed range. Uh, but we didn't have a tournament there. So, um, so it's just been a while. Indiana fans are aching for it, and that was certainly a, a bubble result of note. Elsewhere on Monday... You had TCU winning at home against West Virginia. Man, Bob Huggins is 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 a finalist for the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, and his team is falling apart. They were thirteen, dude. They were thirteen and two at one point, and now they're fourteen and thirteen. West Virginia and Oklahoma, and oh by the way, Oklahoma, which scored forty two points at Texas Tech on Tuesday night. I obviously didn't see the game because I was at UConn Nova. Uh, Oklahoma is now 14 and 14 and has gone from an 11 and two group that seemed like, yeah, they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. They might not even be in the NIT. So, um, so th- those are the two teams in the big 12 that have had their issues, but good on TCU. TCU right now is a 17 and eight team. They're still sub 500 in the big 12. I don't care about league record. That's something a lot of people will focus on. I just never look at it because it's completely irrelevant as far as the selection committee is concerned. TCU is not there yet though. Their best metric is on this on the team sheets to strength the record. They're 34th. Everywhere else, they're in the 50s, with the exception of KPI, they're 46. So the resume stuff is helping them. TCU has more work to do right now. Their uh the remaining schedule is Wednesday at Texas. That's a biggie. Saturday, the host Texas Tech. Get this. They got Kansas back to back, and then they're at West Virginia. I mean, TCU, they're gonna absolutely earn it if they get in. They they have got the toughest stretch upcoming of any team in the conference there i'm gonna say i'm not gonna make this we're gonna predict yes or no for every team but since we did it with indiana i don't think tcu's going they can they can get there but at texas home to tech home to kansas at kansas by the way that that's that's home to kansas on a tuesday at kansas two days later okay on a tuesday yeah, that's uh, that's next week. Um, and then at West Virginia to close it out. So a good a good necessary win at home earlier in the week. But TCU has got its work cut out for us. Any thoughts on the Froggies, by the way? Not really. I, I, they definitely needed that one to stop the three game skid. But this upcoming schedule is absolutely brutal. Palm has them in as a nine seed. Um, I'm not going to make a prediction at this point. But yeah, that I mean, basically the, the toughest upcoming stretch for any big 12 team in the toughest conference in college basketball. I mean, if they get in, they're going to earn it for sure. But this is, this is a brutal gauntlet uh, for TCU upcoming. Other result from Monday was North Carolina, just getting the win um, against Louisville. Uh, We have a question. I think that's going to be coming in the mailbag portion about the Tar Heels. So I'll keep my thoughts relatively short for now because I'll talk about Hubert, but UNC is, 20 and eight and it's uh it's resume right now one and seven in quad one four no in quad two that's a combined five and seven mark and they've got the quad four loss to pit there uh they just they keep on the on the straight and narrow um but we'll save some unc talk for later tuesday's bubble results florida lost and i thought i i think that was kind of a sneaky detrimental loss here because the gators kb they win over the weekend against auburn then they get a they get a home opportunity against arkansas they lose 82 74 
Now they're at Georgia and at Vanderbilt. You losing those games just torpedoes your resume. They got they got to win them. Then they get, they finish up at home against Kentucky. If they beat Kentucky, they'll be there. But I kind of feel like Florida's really dangling in the air here. Uh, Mike White, uh, I know the fan base. They are they are growing frustrated, which is you know it's 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 an interesting spot to be in because you knocked off Auburn over the weekend. Uh, in lemon booty fashion, but you did it nonetheless. And then you can't take advantage of at home against Arkansas. Um, thoughts on the Gators and uh, how much you saw that game on Tuesday. Again, I'm talking about Tuesday games that I didn't see because where I was at. So I'm relying on you here, uh, KB on what will happen there with the, uh, with the Gators and Razorbacks. Yeah, I did get to watch this game last night. Um, Arkansas is just a buzzsaw right now. That's, that's kind of my takeaway from the, from the game that I watched. They've won 12 of their last 13 games. I thought, Florida played pretty well. Uh, Colin Castleton finished with a career high 29 points um, in in that loss last night. But Arkansas seemed like every time Florida was climbing back into it, they just kept finding ways to kind of push that game out of reach. Um, So it's it's obviously a tough loss. They they win that one and maybe they're feeling pretty good. But um, yeah, that's that was I thought that was a pretty interesting game from. Tuesday that kind of snuck under the radar. Arkansas, like I said, they've they've won 12 of their last 13. They're probably the hottest team in the SEC right now. They absolutely are, and they would be on the four line right now if we if we built out a bracket. If you're watching live or if you're watching after the fact, uh, a reminder to please uh, hit the like button if you have not already. Give it a nice little thumbs up. Engagement helps grow the channel. You have been terrific, and I'm giving thanks and credit to uh, to the crew right now that's that's involved in this because when we get to March, like the channel's been growing nicely, downloads have continued to grow, which is terrific. Uh, this thing's going to spike. We're going to get some. Great new fans, and we're going to get some randoms in here. So um, if you could help us continue to grow the channel, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Commenting, engaging, all that good stuff. And if you have not already, if you got a buddy, uh, a mom, dad, sister, cousin, anything that enjoys college basketball, but, you know, you're not quite sure if maybe they would, uh, if they listen to podcasts, just bring it up in conversation, just casually. Just let them know we're out there. Love to have you. And um, as an oh, as an oh, by the way, as we get into March and the schedules get really crazy, not just with games, but with my work schedule parishes, we will have a lot of mix and match. So there'll be some episodes. Most episodes will be me and GP, but there will be the occasional. Maybe we'll go three way and there will be me and KB or me and Cobb, GP and, and KB. There'll be a whole there'll be a whole bunch of stuff and you'll have many more episodes to look forward to. So that's a preview for uh, for March. And thank you again. We are going to do a live mailbag portion on the back end of this that will publish in audio form on Thursday. So if you have questions, feel free to drop in the chat and we will answer them. Other bubble results from Tuesday, Iowa beats Michigan state to continue its resume building. It's in the field right now for sure. Um, how about, by the way, so Luca Garza gets his name in the rafters uh, as did, uh, as did marble, which I, which was great. But how about the fact that, that Murray has had this kind of season as a follow-up to Luca Garza. Like Luca Garza was essentially a wire to wire national player of the year a season ago. And that's the kind of thing we talked about in the podcast KB where I would just, you know, it, it normally doesn't have that. And yet, even though I don't know if Murray's going to win it, uh, he has played brilliantly this season. He had 28 and helped him win against Michigan state. Let me give you the floor here. You know, talk a little bit about the Hawkeyes at 19 and eight and what Keegan Murray's been able to do being a top five score in the country, 37% from three. He's fifth right now in Ken Palm's player of the year algorithm. What'd you see on Tuesday night? And what do you think of the Hawkeyes? Keegan Murray, Murray, first team all American for you right now, 
or no? It's close. Yeah. I don't know. Um, he's either like the last person on the first team or the first person on the second team. It's it's such a crowded race, which I personally love, but he's he's very much in the mix there, particularly because he's a very good two-way player, which I'll take into account. Yeah, that was an eye-opening result, I thought, from from Tuesday. Um, they totally dominated in that game down the stretch, Keegan Murray in particular. Um, I thought what the Hawkeyes did to Michigan State was was pretty jarring, honestly. It felt like in the second half, they just completely turned it up to a new level down the stretch. Michigan State completely le- uh, laid down. Michigan State's now lost five of its last six games. Um so yeah, that, that was uh, that was kind of my my brief takeaway. It it was decently close even midway through that second half, and then Iowa just turned it up to a new gear. Um, I think the story's probably more about Michigan State right now because they're mm-hmm. kind of flailing in the wind. But um, I think we should show some love to Iowa because that was that was a pretty impressive closing finish for Keegan Murray and Iowa uh, in that game last night. It was. There's no doubt about it. Michigan State's got got some issues, no doubt about that. I'll get to that in a second. Iowa right now is 19th in the net as of as of Wednesday morning. Its predictives are better than its results based metrics. Uh, they if Iowa kind of you know works its way to the field, but they take one more bad loss, you know, kind of get some good wins. They could be an interesting. Um, test case or a study in and uh, how the committee is going to see the field. I think there's a there's a couple of teams this season where the disparity between results-based metrics and predictive metrics are stark enough where we're going to actually be able to look at three or four teams that get into the tournament and we'll say, okay, did the committee apply the same philosophy overall with all these teams or is there inconsistencies? And if that does happen, the latter part, if we have inconsistencies, I think it's important for people to remember because I've had conversations with committee members over the years about this. I'd love to have these, by the way, I'd love to have these conversations on the record. Unfortunately, you know, the way things go, it's always just the committee head who speaks to this, but um, on background conversations over the years, I, I, I basically been told, listen, there, there have been cases with teams that either got in or didn't get in or were on this seed line instead of this seed line where there might be, you know, it was a 10 person committee in the past. Now it's 12 people. There might be three people in the room that are vehemently banging the table for this team to be, in the field as opposed to out or whatever, but it is a, it is a collective vote, which is good. Like you've got, you've got a diversity of thought and it's going to, you know, there's a process to this and they, they, every committee member puts in their overall seed rankings and then it's just going to spit out the order. It's going to spit out. Um, But just remember if we do have inconsistencies, it doesn't mean that all 10 or 12 committee members thought, well, we're going to apply this set of thinking to Iowa but we're not going to do that same thing. Who's another team that might this apply? Maybe Murray State. Like Murray State, I actually think has some pretty intriguing potential seeding possibilities. We're not going to do it with Murray State, or we're not going to do it with, say, North Carolina if it gets in. So just keep that in mind uh, going forward. I'm sure we'll address that once we get into March. Uh, as for Michigan State, real quick, I had the Spartans, like, I want to, I'm going to blindly, and my one to three fifty eight preseason, I want to say I had them like 34th or 35th. I wasn't all in the way some others were relatively all in. And by all in people thought this was going to be a top 25 team. They're about now big picture. Now they're, they're slumping. They've, they've dropped five or six, but in the, on the whole, if you kind of step back and look at what they've done, they're about what I thought they would be. So I'm not, I'm not stunned. Um, 
they just aren't getting consistent enough. It's just, it's obvious, but as we said, like they just don't get consistent enough play and they aren't a good shooting team. Like they're, they're decently on offense from three point range, but inside the arc, they're horrendous. They're 198th in the country. That's very bizarre for a Tom Izzo team. And to this point, Max Christie, the freshman, the talented freshman, he hasn't made the jump. Um, there's been some nice moments. Tyson Walker had a good game the other day. AJ Hogar has been good. Um, I do like Malik Hall a lot, but this could be something of a of an MSU team where, and I might have mentioned this on the pod. If I didn't mention it on this one, I mentioned it on the College Sports Now, which if you want a little extra Norlander, College Sports Now podcast, feel free to go find it. Here's my, uh, here's my quick GP impersonation. I'm going to take my hat off and I'm going to go bald and say, Norlander, how dare you go yeah, advertising yeah. this on CBS? How, how about how about that, uh, that gorgeous dome? That's gorgeous dome there. Um, but I said with Michigan State, they could just kind of get into the field and be a one and done. It might be a little bit of a lost season. They barely squeaked in last year. Um, I don't know. Are you kind of with me on that? Like, there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of reasons to get inspired about what MSU has this season. Yeah, it's 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 an okay team. Um, it, it's not a team that totally overwhelms you with talent. Like, I'm super impressed by Max Christie long term, but this year, you're right. He he hasn't quite made the leap. Izzo has allowed him to kind of play through some of these mistakes. And um, yeah, we'll see. It, it does feel like this is not like a totally vintage Michigan State team for, for Tom Izzo. So uh, they end up going one and done in the NCAA tournament. That totally would not surprise me at all. Yeah, we'll see. You know, there's the old January, February Izzo uh, meme or tweet that pops up each year. I, I I don't know about that one though. Uh, we'll see. Miami won on Tuesday. Last bubble team we'll get to. They they won at Pitt, so they just they just dodged the bad loss here. Hurricanes are now a twenty win team this season, and I think they're going to get in. Right now, Miami feels like ten seed level, uh, right around there with with getting this win. Uh, they still got more work to do. They're definitely a bubble team. They're going to play Virginia Tech at home on Saturday, and then they close at BC at Syracuse. So they've got winnable games for the remainder of the schedule. As long as they don't drop two of the next three and then flop in the ACC tournament, I think Miami will be okay. I'll say this. Miami's one of those teams. They get three wins no matter how they get them. They're getting in. Two might even be enough, uh, but we we shall see. They, they got swept by Virginia, which makes for an intriguing uh, situation for the Wahoos, and we'll get to them in just a minute. Those are the bubble results from uh, from the past couple of days. I want to pivot and quickly talk about the Mountain West. The court report, which will run later on Wednesday, leads on UConn, but then the item number two is about Wyoming and Jeff Linder. So Wyoming plays Colorado State on Wednesday night. Uh, Boise State got a win over San Diego State on Tuesday. Um, I got a couple thoughts, but I'm just going to tee you up here. You know, Love having you on the pod, buddy. It's it's great to be having uh, this conversation. So I want to give you some some time and room to to talk about teams that maybe you haven't written about yet or talked about yet. Thoughts on the Mountain West, and we think in four teams at this point, close to a lock for that league, four bid league. Four teams. I think I think that's right. By the way, what were the preseason odds on the Mountain West potentially having more NCAA tournament teams than the ACC? Like. <laughs> 50 to 1, 100 to 1. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, lo- I, I, love- way, I, think, I think they might wind up with the exact same amount. I think the ACC. I think that's team. right. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, but I love that we're giving the Mountain West some love. Um, long overdue for the Cowboys of the North for, for Wyoming. Um, should be a pretty interesting game versus Colorado State Wednesday night. Um, good on Boise State beating 
San Diego State, good. I, I thought that was good for them to kind of stay in control in the in the regular season race. Um, currently, Jerry Palm has Boise as an eight seed. Um, Wyoming as a seven seed. That's what that's what Palm has them. That's the highest among the four that we uh, talked about. And then Boise State as as an eight seed, and San Diego State as a ten seed. So um, very strong. Very strong season for the Mountain West. I'm glad that uh, they're getting some shine in the in the court report. Where was uh, where was Colorado State on that Palm projection? Uh, eight seed. So Colorado State okay. and Boise both as eight seeds. Wyoming is the highest right now as, as as a seven seed, and then San Diego State as a ten. They're all scrunched on the net right now. By the way, Boise's thirty, CSU is thirty one, San Diego State's thirty three, and then Wyoming. Uh, which I might like more than that. I, I, I had Colorado State the best team going into the season, and I still like them a lot. But um, after having talked to Jeff Linder, the Wyman coach, earlier this week, there's they're they're a very interesting team, and I'll get to them in a second on why they're 38th in the net. Um, the predictives are the worst on Wyoming. Someone explain this to me. All right, Wyoming, get this: Wyoming in the net is 38. In Ken Palm, it's 48. It's 105th in BPI, and Colorado State is 31 in the net, 39 in Ken Palm, 37 Sagarin. It's 82nd in BPI. What what's going on over there? I saw over the weekend. Did you see where Albany accidentally became the number one ranked team in the BPI for like seven hours on Saturday morning? Did you see that? Did they just do it by like no one knows medical order? Like, <laughs> what are we doing? This is one of the six team sheet metrics, and they had Albany number one. What? I it, was, it. it was on. It was on the website. Oh, and then they fixed it. I. I don't know. Snafu encoding. I don't. But that. <laughs> that BPI thing's a, a bit odd. I saw. By the way, there was some conspiratorial talk about maybe the BPI uh, being slanted toward conferences that have contracts with ESPN. I. I don't think that argument holds much water. Um, I'm not saying it's unthinkable. I just don't. I don't think that's. The, I don't think that's the case. Uh, but if you have evidence dating back literally years to, to corroborate such claims, um, I believe a, uh, a Marquette-based uh, website couldn't help but notice that since the Big East is no longer on the four-letter network. Uh, but nevertheless, BPI, BPI is just the one that it's – it's a team sheet metric. It's on there. Um, I just tend to give it the least amount of attention. I, I'm much more of a Ken Palm – Strength of record. Those are like my my one and two go tos for predictive and, and results based. As for uh, the Mountain West, I do think it's going to get four. Now, San Diego State's the most vulnerable of the four, uh, but it's home against San Jose State. Then it's at Wyoming, home to Fresno, at Nevada. Uh, it's got the number two ranked defense in America per possession, according to Ken Palm. And, you know, Brian Dutcher's done a really, really nice job since taking over for Steve Fisher. This is his fifth season. This will be, if they get in, it will be the fourth year out of five where he has had an NCAA tournament-level team. SDSU would have been a two-seat had we had a 2020 NCAA tournament there. So they can absolutely get there. Uh, Matt Bradley has been, as advertised this season, he's been really good. And then Nathan Mensa is like a top-20 defender in the sport. He's, he's fantastic. So they've got a good group there. So... Uh, they are the one team of the four that's just the most, they've got the best pedigree. They're the most proven. They've gotten there the most. Boise State, it might surprise some people because they're always in the mix in the Mountain West. KB, do you realize that Boise State has only made the NCAA tournament twice in the past 13 years? That can't twice. be true. They've only been there twice, and both times were the first four, and they didn't win either of those games. Like, it feels like Boise State, yeah, they're in there like every three years. That hasn't been the yeah. case. And now, they're normally pretty good, normally like NIT level, but 
um, this is finally a year where Leon Rice's team is breaking through, and they've uh, they've done a really, really good job so far. Uh, in terms of where these teams stack up from a predictive standpoint at Ken Palm, uh, San Diego State's the best team, according to Ken Palm. Now, they've got, I think they've got the toughest road to get to the tournament of the four we talked about, but they're 23rd, Boise State's 26, Colorado State's 40, and then Wyoming is 49. And then I don't want to give up too much what's in the story, but uh, Jeff Linder says he has an offense that is literally like nothing else in college basketball. Like there's not another team that runs their stuff in a similar way that, he, that like he does. He told me, he gave me a good quote. He said basically something along the lines of, we are the Tennessee Titans of college basketball and I have two Derrick Henrys on my roster and they will wear you down and we will eventually break you. So anytime a coach wants to go with that on the record, I'll take it every time. Wyoming is 22 and four. It's only had, I think, eight seasons in its history where it's won at least 25 games. This will be the ninth year. There are 22 wins now. They're going to get to 25 without a doubt. They're going to get into the, the NCAA tournament. And the Mountain West bracket uh, tournament, that, that's always on CBS and CBS Sports Network. It's going to be among the three or four best league tournaments this, this March, I, I got to believe. Because you've also got Utah State, Fresno State are, are viable teams. Potential bid thieves, even they're they're good enough to do that. They've been a bit a, a bit up and down, but Fresno State has Orlando Robinson. Where is he? Complete off the off the board question here. Where where is Orlando Robinson on your big board list? If you have that ready or handy, is he? He's got to be on there. I mean, he's been he's been a monster, man. He's one of the best big men in the country. He's number one. That's where I have him. He's not number one over Jaden Ivy. No. Are you being serious? No. No. Okay, and I well, I don't know. He's he's on the top fifty. He's on. Yeah, the top he's 50. got. I don't be. have Andy. Yeah, he's he's been he's been tremendous this season. Um, so him at Fresno State and then Utah State's got Justin Bean. They've been really really good as well. So, uh, wanted to at least give a little bit of love out to the Mountain Time Zone, often overlooked, not here, and uh, Mountain West mark me down for four teams. Um, getting to uh, getting to the NCAA tournament this year. Let's talk before we get to the mailbag. Wednesday, what to watch. Here's I'm gonna roll off all the games. You tell you you go with it where I'll do a GP. I'm gonna just I'm gonna say a bunch of crap and then you're gonna just follow up and talk about whatever you want. All right. Here are the games to watch for the biggest games in my opinion. In chronological order, Creighton at St. John, 630 Eastern, FS1. This is Wednesday night. Duke of Virginia is a seven Eastern ESPN tip. Xavier Providence, CBS Sports Network. GP in studio, Xavier Providence, 7 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Also at 7, man, this is a crunch of games. Rutgers at Michigan, coached by Phil Martelli. That is a big 10 network, 7 Eastern tip. And then the 9 o'clock tips to keep an eye on, Wyoming at Colorado State. And then LSU will play at Kentucky at 9 Eastern. Go with that where you please. So Duke at Virginia, I think, is the game to watch. Um, Virginia is technically still alive in the ACC title race. Is that correct? believe that's right they're fifth right now did you just say um, virginia is still technically alive in the acc title race that's technically right yeah yes. i think mathematically is probably right mathematically and, yes and virginia yes but they have to they will obviously, they, they literally need to win out and need to help it's not going to happen but yes mathematically true yeah so that's that's um and i feel like that's maybe what they need to get in the NCAA tournament they they need this win tonight against duke um i've got a trivia time for you matt Neulander. Uh, Surprise trivia time. A win, a win for Virginia would give them their first mm. regular season sweep of Duke since since when? Since when, Matt Norlander? 
All right, then. This is a good one. Credit to Virginia's fact, game notes. For this uh, the fact you are asking me this seems to indicate that Tony Bennett has yet to sweep Duke in a regular season. So I'm going to say it hasn't been in the past decade, and I will... Man, if Duke has not swept... If Virginia has not swept Duke since Bennett got there, and Duke was so reliable, relatively reliable, hasn't won a standalone league title since 06. Right now it's got it. We'll see if it gets there. It should. Uh, if it wins on Wednesday, it's pretty much a wrap. Um, I'll go... The guesses in the chat are amazing, by the way. We're getting like 19. I'm not even looking at the chat, but I love this. You play along at home. You play along live. Guesses in the chat. The one thing about the chat is people can cheat and not tell you. So we have an honest audience. Don't cheat. Uh, I'm going to blindly say 1992. Pretty close. 1994, really? 1995 Boom. was the last time it happened. Uh, six of the last eight meetings between Duke and Virginia have been decided by two points or less. So I feel like there's a lot at stake tonight. Virginia really needs this win. They always play a close game. Duke, it does feel like Coach K, at least against Virginia, he doesn't struggle against Virginia, but I feel like they're always playing a close game. So that's the game that I'm – Probably most interested in. There's a lot of really good games on Wednesday night, but that's the one that I've got circled. Yeah, no, it's it's a huge one. If, and if Virginia wins, we'll talk about them on the Friday podcast because then they they start to build a viable NCAA tournament resume. Uh, build is the is the key word there because right now Virginia, where were they? Let me bring them up here. The Wahoos, be second in the net. Their best metric is Ken Palm at fifty. No BPI at fifty nine. They got work. They got work to do. But if you sweep Duke, you sweep projected into the field Miami, you have a win over Providence, you're at least you're getting there. You're getting there. They have Florida State and they're at Louisville. Virginia needs to win out in the regular season to, to for us to actually be like, okay, let's let's line this up. But to their credit, I didn't think I didn't think we'd be t- we'd be talking about this. You know, a month ago, I didn't think we'd talk about Virginia to potentially be in this spot, but it's it's getting there. Um, elsewhere on Wednesday, just Creighton is. I think Creighton's in the field as of right now at St. John's. I can just see St. John's winning this game. Big East has got just fascinating middle part of its of its league right now. Um, Providence at home against Xavier. Xavier's again. Xavier. We got a lot of these teams, man. Like Xavier's in the field, but I, I you cannot look at the Xavier team and find any kind of inspiration at the moment. They've dropped four of five. They're plummeting now. They're at Providence. Watch Xavier go out and beat fryers on the road that would just be too perfect i'm completely prepared for that overall rutgers at michigan you just kind of you tune in to see uh see what michigan looks like you know no howard they don't have two of their players on the in that game obviously because of suspension um my most anticipated one is wyoming at colorado state cbs sports network nine o'clock be there come on get there all right big time mountain west matchup big time and these are two teams that can viably get to the Sweet 16. So if you have not yet checked in on the Mountain West, be sure to do that. And that's uh, that's a decent dial around Wednesday and what to watch. If you want more Kyle Boone, I got great news for you. Because we're going to do a mailbag episode. And if you're watching on video, live or after the fact, you're going to see that we're going to continue on this. If you are listening to this podcast, well, 
Hope you had a great Wednesday or Thursday. And the mailbag portion is going to be in the feed on Thursday. So thank you for listening. No, I will not be doing the shouts now. I will not be doing them at the end of the show. That's not my gimmick, not my shtick. Wonderful to have you. And now we'll get to the mailbag. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.